Like that trailer, you know, it starts out pretty, but uh, there's no such thing as a perfect house. There's no such thing as a perfect family, a perfect home. Uh, Great to have you, whether you're online or in the room, and I'm privileged to bring this message today, which has been entitled, The The Toughest Job Ever. Now, I'm rarely without words. It's kind of what I do for a living. Uh, But there are times when I feel inadequate, even with words. You know, yesterday I conducted a, a funeral service for a, a friend of mine and uh, saw his family sitting there and it's just tough. I, who can possibly, and I feel this way about every funeral that I conduct, who could possibly uh, honor the memory of a loved one with the right words, the right message? Certainly I can preach Jesus Christ, him crucified and the certain hope of eternal life, but there is still a parting, there's still a sorrow, there's still a loss and And it's just something that's impossible for anyone to adequately capture. Uh, When we gave birth to our first child, I held that child in my hands, and I thought, what have I done? You know, it's like, wow, talk about inadequate. I felt like I was still a kid. I had so much to learn, and now I was responsible for another living person. You know, I'm surely going to mess this up. And uh, it, it was that kind of a situation. And then today... Um, uh, the, the scripture was assigned and, and the weekend was assigned for me to preach the toughest job ever. Pastor Garrett is out of state, getting as far away from this weekend as he possibly can, you know, uh, conducting a wedding somewhere else. And he said, Steve, you could do that, the toughest job ever. And I said, well, that means it's going to be the toughest message ever. And uh, he goes, that's right. Good luck with that. And uh, I said, well, I'll, I'll do all that I can, but I just have to say I'm going to have a disclaimer before I begin. Uh, if anyone disagrees with anything I say today, I am fully prepared to not only retract it, but also deny under oath that I ever said it. I'm just, it's my, it's my disclaimer. And if you produce video or you produce an auditory track of what I said, I'll just say that, well, that was obviously edited. You know, I probably would have never said what you say I said. Last week, uh, Pastor Garrett kicked off the uh, the series, uh, and he called it the first relationship. And of course, every family uh, is a result, you know, of a man and a woman who bring a child into the world. And he talked about his life, and he talked about the life of Jocelyn, and he talked about you know marriage and and that first relationship as hard. In fact, he says it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And it, see, it's it's not just the coming together on common interest, which is the law of attraction, but you soon realize that after you're married that you bring an entire different set of values in family, she brings an entire different set of values in family uh, into this relationship that you have to navigate. And not only that, um, most of us, you know, form that relationship when we don't even truly know who we are, let alone truly know who someone else is and, until we get further and deeper into that relationship. And so he described that as hard, and truly it is hard. And, and, but then things begin to change because uh, a lot of families, and uh, the Wallaces, Anne Marie, who was up here with Dion uh, yesterday, she and Mark have been married over a year now. And so they've, they've begun to uh, uh, change their relationship because they added a pet to their dog. And, and so I, I say that's a slight adjustment, you know, to the original situation. 
And uh, it, it's, a, it's a good adjustment because you have to make allowances, don't you? I mean, when you have a pet, it changes your life a little bit. You got to make sure that you get there and let them out. You, ca- you can't just not care. You have to walk them. Uh, and if you ever travel, you have to make allowances. You have to figure all that out. And that's a good first step. That's a slight adjustment. But then you make the mistake of, of bringing a little person into your relationship it's not a mistake, it just, it just happens, you know, it's God's design, and I think God must smile when all this happens, because now it's not a slight adjustment, we're talking major life change. You know, I, we're a church that believes, you know, every child is, is born is immediately a, a sinful child by the nature of human flesh, that which is flesh is flesh, something has to happen, we need to be born again, and uh, I think people who struggle with the idea of, of natural sin or, or original sin have never raised a child. Because <laughs> if you've raised a child, you can see anger early on. You can see selfishness early on. It's just the nature of being a human being. And, and it not only is that, it's also this child, as they grow, learn to manipulate this person to influence this person or this person to influence this person. These two people disagree with what should be done with this child. And, and, and so it gets to be a major, major disruption of norm. But that's not the end of it. Because having not learned your lesson, (laughs) you begin to bring other little people into your relationship. It often happens. It's just the nature of things. And and, uh, now, this is not just a major adjustment because see these people, they begin to interact with each other and they hit each other and they steal from each other and, and they tell and tattle on each other and then these people disagree or maybe they favor this child or that child. You're getting personalities involved. You're getting gender involved and this gets really fuzzy really quick. Now, there's, um, there's a technical term. It's a clinical technical term that was developed and first published in Time Magazine in uh, 1941 uh, that describes this situation it's called a snafu, which means situation normal, all fouled up, is, is, is the definition of family. You know, it's situation normal. This is a mess, you know, because we have all these personalities. We have all this interaction. We have, you don't just add children. Every time you add a child, you multiply the complexity, right? Now, if you've had more than one child, you know that that's true. And, and so you have what is technically called a snafu. Not my term, but my dad was World War II, and he, he introduced that term to me. Uh, now, I didn't learn the lesson either, and, and, and so I'm even at a different level. Uh, uh, Carol and I uh, brought two sons into the world, and these two sons now have decided that they would like to repeat our mistakes. And, and so they've, they've brought another person into their relationship. And not only that, uh, they, have, they have all kinds of animals as well, but they've brought other little people into their families. And both of them have done the same thing. Uh, and, and they've brought other people into their relationship, including uh, little girls and little boys. And, and, and so now... We have this person influenced by this family origin. This person, you don't just marry a person, you marry a whole family. This person has brought another family into this relationship. And they also have all of these interactions and then we get to mess with their kids sometimes. And, 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 
And, and so we create problems for them by the way we mess with them and, and by the gifts that we send or don't send. And, and uh, by all of this interaction, brother with brother and sister-in-law with sister-in-law and in-laws, boy, in-laws or something. And, and you, have, you have all of this confusion and it gets to be a really messy situation. And just think, this is by God's design. This is not an accident. He could have done it any way he wanted. He wanted to do it this way. Now, fortunately, there's a word that helps us understand this too. It's called a foobar, which means fouled up beyond all recognition. And, and uh, that's, that's kind of where families are. So I, I just say this as a means of comfort that your family is not the only one. Now, it boggles my mind to think that God actually intended for it to be this way, that he knows the uh, end from the beginning. He knew how difficult it would be. And he said, this is going to be fun. Let's watch this. And, and he created this. And this is part of his divine scheme because he doesn't want us to live forever. You know, we're living a sinful world and he wants better than that for us. He wants us to come out of this sinful world back into paradise. And he has prepared a home for us, an eternal home. And and so he's killing us in order to do this. And and this is one of his primary means by which he does this. He, uh, He uses family to take young, energetic people and make them old and arthritic. This is God's plan. It's... He's thoughtful about it, uh, but he also has some things to say to sustain us, you know, while we struggle, you know, through our families, and we're going to look at some of that word today, and I want to say that it's from Hebrews 12, 5 to 11, this was written by Paul, and it's about discipline, it's about course correction, and uh, I think it's fascinating that God asked a single man to write this, you know, because if you've never had children, if you've never married, you're an expert on the subject. As I was before I married, as I was before I had children. You know, I saw other people raise their kids and say, man, what's wrong with them? Why don't they know better? And then I had children of my own and I became less of an expert in these things. So Paul was an expert. I, I'm just kidding. Of course, a lot of this is tongue in cheek. You'll have to figure it out. Uh, but he also had the Holy Spirit. You know, God inspired what he had to say. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so he gives us God's word as well. But I also got to say that Paul, because he never had children, did not get old and arthritic. He died a young man by martyrdom. You know, I don't, it's just just a quicker way to the same result, you know, and and God brought him home. But the scripture comes from Paul's words in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 5. And I'm going to share sections of it and then just derive some teaching and, and then we can wrap up. Uh, first of all, he says, have you completely forgotten? Don't forget a word of encouragement. And I, I highlighted those words because I want you to know, he wants you not to be discouraged by all the, all the difficulty, by the messiness of it. He wants you to be encouraged. And misery loves company in a way, and, and you know, on all of our struggles, to know that this is the nature of life. Uh, we should not be surprised by it. It's a word of encouragement that he addresses as a father addresses a son. It's out of love, it's out of a relationship, it's out of compassion that he gives us this word. So that's an important pretext to what he's about to say. My child, son, daughter, whoever you are, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. So we're gonna take uh, an understanding of how God disciplines us and we're gonna apply it to our families. He says, first of all, don't, don't pass over it. Take this to heart. Think seriously about it. Uh, Don't make light of it when you experience it from God's hand because you need to learn the lessons. Don't make light of it 
And also, don't lose heart. Don't become discouraged when you mess up or when it doesn't turn out well. So don't, take, don't make light of it. Don't lose heart when God corrects you or disciplines you. Because he only disciplines those he loves. You know, it, his course correction in your life, and I would say uh, my parents' course correction in my life and my course correction in my children's life is because of a loving relationship that I have with them. He chastens everyone he accepts as his child. We should expect that. It's a sign of his love that he won't let me mess up or he'll only let me go so long before he pulls the chain. And, and the first lesson that I want to take away from this is, is this. Discipline is not the same as punishment. Now, if those words are interchangeable in your life and in your family, you, you need to get right. You know, that, that's not God's thinking. Punishment is payment extracted for doing wrong. Punishment. Who suffered? Who paid the price for your mistakes? Who paid the price for your sin? Jesus, you know. His blood covers it all. Did he pay like only 90% and you're left with a 10% residual? Is that what he did? And, and, and so his discipline is that you gotta make up the shortfall? No, he paid it all. There's nothing left for me to pay. So when he disciplines me, he doesn't do it to punish me. He doesn't say, well, this uh, action against you reflects the crime. He's not interested in that. He's interested in course correction, but he's not interested in me making payment uh, for the wrong that I've done. You know John 3.16, I know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? You know that. But it doesn't stop there. He says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. God's always interested in salvation. All day long, he holds out his hand even to an obstinate and disobedient people. It's all about salvation. Whoever believes in him is covered. They're not condemned because they've sought the cover of God's love. But whoever does not believe has already been judged. And this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. You see, God doesn't have to punish. You know, sin extracts its own consequence. Uh, did you see The Shack? Did you see the movie The Shack? I, it was only out there for a brief time. If you haven't seen it, I hope you'll catch it on pay-per-view or, or maybe even buy the DVD. I, I think it's worthy of that, the DVD. Uh, there's a time, McKinsey is wrestling with faith in God because one of his children has been violently killed by a serial killer and, and he's angry at God. And, and uh, we learn through his experiences, he encounters God. And in God appears to him in different forms. In the one conversation that I'm going to allude to, he appears to him in the nature of, a, of, a, of an older uh, black lady uh, because that, a woman of that image had given him great comfort as a child when his dad was abusive to him. And, and so uh, God comes to him in the form of a, of a kind person who treated him kindly when he was a child. And, and he's really wrestling with the fact that God doesn't beat down evil in the world. And, uh, and so they're having this conversation, he and God, and, and he says, so is this where the wrath comes in? He says to God, is this where you unleash your wrath on evil and on sin? And God says, excuse me? He goes, you know the wrath where you just punish sin. He goes, uh, don't get me wrong, Mackenzie. Sin has consequence, but I don't have to unleash that consequence. It has its own payment required. 
I like the way Benjamin Franklin talked about it. Uh, he was an interesting guy. I've studied a lot of biographies, autobiographies, and uh, recently I just finished one, and it was from, about him, and, and it had a whole section on his spiritual development. We know that he, <clears throat> excuse me, we know he was a deist and, and maybe a Unitarian, but he sat under the preaching of uh, Pastor Whitehead, who was a strong evangelical fundamentalist Christian pastor, and he loved listening to him, so we don't know where he ended up. That's just the nature of Benjamin Franklin. He constantly changed his opinion about things. But this is one thing he wrote. He said, sin is not hurtful because it is forbidden. It is forbidden because it's hurtful. God has declared things off limits for us because those are things that destroy, those are things that hurt. Out of compassion, God has given us the law. And, and said, this is wrong, this is sinful. And then he goes on to say, nor is duty beneficial because it's commanded. It's commanded because it's beneficial. You know, God wants us to pursue this path. And so he encourages it and even commands it. You know, God doesn't have to judge sin. I, I know that there is such a thing as a consequence. Uh, I know that the scripture says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But see, that's just justice. You know, if you choose not to walk with God, there's a consequence for that choice. If you say, I prefer darkness rather than light, and I prefer an eternity without God in it, man, that is a serious decision. And the consequence for that is beyond your imagination. It's not something God does. True justice is just a declaration of the fact, right? If you get justice from a judge, he's just going to rule correctly on the basis of the evidence. If you choose and say, I don't want God, he's not going to force himself on you. But the consequence of that in life and in eternity is tremendous. And it's not a choice that anybody should make. Secondly, while discipline is not punishment, discipline is course correction. Now, while I try not to punish my kids, I will certainly discipline them. I will certainly uh, engage in course correction. You know, there's a scripture that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What do I care if your kids mess up? Good luck with that. But if my kids mess up, I care. You know, I'm connected. And so I get involved and I get involved enough to say something. Because faithful are the wounds of a parent, but other people may not care. You know, so there is course correction required. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, all the neighborhood kids ran in kind of a pack. Uh, we were just on the outskirts of town, and there were a lot of kids back in the day, and, and we kind of ran amok occasionally. And my folks would occasionally come out, any parent would come out, and if we were into mischief, they would stop the mischief. And they would send all the neighborhood kids home. But we would receive special attention because we had a relationship. Never failed. We received special attention. They wouldn't discipline our, the other kids, but they would discipline us because they cared. If you love somebody, you cannot stand to sit back and watch them self-destruct. And so we were taught to say, please and thank you. Apologize to your sister. Apologize to your sister. Go sit there and think about what you did, you know. And even when I went to school, I remember we had to write sentences if we acted out because the teacher didn't want us to continue to act out. And uh, today I know my granddaughter talks about clicking up and clicking down. I don't even know what that means. But uh, uh, back in the day, I knew what it meant when Mr. Trzinka would send me to the cloak hall and wait for him there. You know, it was, uh, 
He, he was not adverse to corporal punishment, neither were my parents, because if I was disciplined at school, I guarantee you my brothers and sisters could not wait to run from the bus and tell my folks so that I could be disciplined again at home. That's you know, the nature of family. That's how they love you. And uh, I'm not encouraging anybody to hit a child, uh, although, uh, you know, we were spanked as kids, and, and I, I, I'm pretty sure uh, my kids are, are gone today. My one son's uh, preaching himself out in Idaho, and my other son's on an anniversary trip. That's why I can preach today about how to be a perfect father, because <laughs> they're not here to defend themselves. Uh, but, but I'm sure that we occasionally gave them a swat on the behind and, and maybe even slapped the back of their hand if, if that hand was offensive. And, and there's scripture that supports that concept. In fact, let me just share a few. Proverbs 13, whoever spares discipline actually hates their children. It's not how you love a child. But the one who loves their children will be careful to discipline them. Proverbs 22, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's the nature of being immature. But the one who loves his child will be careful to discipline them. Um, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you correct them with a spanking, they will not die. You know, if it's done properly. If it's done properly. Or Proverbs 29, Uh, spanking and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces their mama. You know, I think it says that mama. And you don't want to be that person, you know. So discipline is required, although punishment is always forbidden. Secondly, uh, or third, proper discipline is always rooted in love. You should never discipline a child when you're angry. You should always always have a cooling off period. You should send them to a corner and you should go into another room perhaps. Perhaps. Because discipline is not punishment. And discipline should be child appropriate too. You know, each child will react differently to discipline, although they do get very good at manipulating you. I remember we would scream before mom even spanked us uh, because that would play on her emotions. And, you know, we could back her off perhaps, you know. So, uh, but nevertheless, uh, each child, some children can only, if you just look at them, they start crying. And other children require more immediate attention. You know, I have a friend who uh, is in my uh, men's group, and his kids, they're all older now, but they used to talk about, well, that's not fair. You didn't do that with so-and-so and such-and-such. And he said, I never allowed that word. Fair was the F word that was never allowed to be said in our house. And I get that. I remember when Jacob had uh, acted up as, he's my youngest child, and he's the orneriest of the, of the two. I love his spirit, but it was interesting to have to deal with him as a child. Uh, he, he complained that whatever I was doing, I don't even remember what the issue was, but I remember the conversation. And he said, it's not fair. All of my friends get to do this or do, to do that. And I said, well, you see, I'm not their parent. I'm not their daddy. I'm your daddy. And it's my God-given responsibility to nurture you. And this is how I choose to do it. If it's wrong, then don't do it when you have your children because that will be your responsibility when that day comes. You know? and, and, and so it should always be done from the understanding that this is your God-given responsibility to love them. Let's continue with the reading. So you should endure discipline or frustration, hardship, you know, whatever the form of discipline is, time out. Uh, as discipline, you know, God allows us, he brings difficulty into our life, sometimes to strengthen us, but sometimes to turn us from a path. For God is treating you like a child. He won't sit back and endure it. He, he cares too much. For what children are uh, not disciplined by their fathers? 
In fact, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not a legitimate child. I I hate this translation. It's in all the modern translations as well. They haven't learned to do it differently because there is no such thing as an illegitimate child. Amen? There isn't. You know, every child is an act of God. It's not an automatic response to a biological functioning. God allowed this child to be conceived. It's God's action. As bones are formed into the womb of a pregnant woman, or uh, I know, Lord, that you formed me. You wove me in my mother's womb. You know, this is God's activity. So I would prefer to say, you know, if you are without discipline, then you're being treated like a stranger in your home, not as a child. You're being treated like a stranger, not a true son, not a true daughter at all. Otherwise, discipline would be involved. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, at least I did, and we learned to respect them for it. You know, we held them in honor and esteem. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits, to God who disciplines us and find true life? They disciplined us as as they thought best, often flawed, I'm sure. But God who is not flawed, who is perfect, disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. You see, the first point I want to make from this section is that parenting is God's idea. I know that it's uh, customary to say, well, how many children do you have? Well, and, and we have... Uh, This is my son. This is my daughter. We talk in those terms. But in fact, uh, that's God's child. The child that you're raising is God's child. It's not your child. You know, God just asks you to steward this life for him. Uh, It really is a child that belongs to God. And, And so you ought to do what God would have you do with that child. The scripture does say children are the fruit of the womb. Children are a gift from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of our youth. We are blessed if we have our quiver full of them. It's different in the animal kingdom. Just think, this is, this is intentional. Family is God's idea. I would much prefer the idea of a turtle. You just crawl up on a beach, lay an egg, and then you leave. <laughs> and say, good luck with that. I hope you find your way. Avoid the things with fins that will eat you, you know. Uh, they just, salmon do the same thing. Here's a concept. Give birth to a child and then die, you know, at the, like the end of your life. And, and, you know, good luck. God will provide, you know, and you have no responsibility. Insects do the same thing. And then there are other kinds of animals like lions. They're raised by a pack, you know, or by, uh, uh, by a pride, you know, where all the mamas, all the ants, you know, raise you, not the daddy. Daddy's out doing his own thing. But uh, all the ants raise you, or elephants are born into herds like that, where the whole herd takes care of the young. But no, God wanted us to do it this way, and he designed it this way. I think that is curious. He developed gender. He developed intimacy. He developed the nature of us bringing life into the world, God's idea. And so we can't say it's wrong. It's just we struggle with it. The next point is that lack of discipline is really a form of child abuse. It truly is. I, it gives away my age to say that James Dobson was, uh, you know, focused on the family fame. Uh, it was a big influence in our child rearing. He was, he was prominent back in those days, in the, in the 70s uh, and 80s even. And uh, I remember reading the book, The Strong-Willed Child. In fact, I, I read it so often that the pages fell out. And, and then my kids would hide it too. Uh, and so, you know, but... 
uh, and I would give some away because I was a pastor and I saw people my age who were struggling with strong-willed child. And I remember a story that he told in the book. If you find it in an old bookstore, you should pick it up, especially if you have a strong-willed child. And he said, you know, a strong-willed child is different than other children. He said, a strong-willed child is you're sitting at a ball game and the strong-willed child, you, you allow them a little slack. You know, they got to learn uh, some independence. And so your strong-willed child will walk down to the basketball court and before he crosses the line, he'll look up at you. And then he'll step across the line because he just wants you to get engaged. And if you don't stand up, if you don't make a correction, he'll run out on the court. You know, they want you to display concern for them and they will force your hand until you do it. You know, without discipline, uh, there is um, child abuse. And, and it's a teachable moment when you discipline a child. I, I often said, let's talk about this. They'd prefer you just discipline them and get on with it and you not have the conversation. But uh, God would have us use it as a teachable moment. Uh, I got to say, when, when David was disciplined at the end of his life because he wanted to take a census to find out how great a guy he was, how, how mighty his army was, it said Satan planted in the head of David to take a census of his army. And all the Christian counselors he's had said, don't do this, David, this is sinful. You know, it's God's blessing. That's all you need to know. He says, no, I want to count. And, and, um, and he was corrected. And he said, because you have done this sinful thing, the prophet came and said, God is going to discipline you. And he gives you three choices. Either you can have a famine on the land for three years, or your enemy can triumph over you for three months, or you can fall into the hands of God, and he will send a plague upon you for three days. You choose. It's a great model for us to say, you know, uh, here's, here's the thing that was wrong. Why do you think we should do about it? And let your children propose. Uh, they often will propose something even more stringent than you might. David said, let me fall into the hands of my God because I know he will be compassionate. And God definitely was compassionate. I must say, though, that even while a child can make amends and, and apologize and repent of the sin, it doesn't mean that there is no consequence. You know, there, there's still sometimes consequence uh, for sin, uh, even though we repent of our sin. Think about Achan. Uh, when, Jer- when Jericho was the first city taken as they crossed into the new land, the first of everything is God's. Even Jesus, the firstborn child, had to be an offering made for him. You know, a parent had to redeem their first child. It was just God's training. The first is always God's. The first is always God's. That's why we tithe. The first is always God's. And so the first city taken was also God's. Nothing should be taken as spoil from the first city. But a man, Achan, came across a rich man's house. He saw a lot of silver, a lot of precious things, and he took some of it back to his tent. The next day, they went into battle, and they suffered a defeat. And Joshua said, what's wrong, God? I thought you were going to protect us. He said, there's sin in your house and you need to correct it. And so God was teaching a lesson. And so Achan was finally found out. He confessed his sin and he was forgiven. Then he was stoned. You know, it's still even true in our society. You can make a mistake. You can uh, be forgiven, but there still can be consequence. You can ground them. You can take away the privilege for the car. You know, there still can be consequence, even though you have provided forgiveness. Uh, let's go on with the next uh, section. And parental discipline is always flawed, always flawed. Sinners correcting sinners, what could go wrong? <laughs> I remember when I came home from college, it was back in the day, uh, 
when long hair was in and, and I came home from college, my hair was uh, over my ear and it was down to my collar in the back. And uh, I lived a long way, I went to school a long way from home and uh, planes weren't really available, uh, you know, at, as much as they are today. And so I took a bus, it took like two days to get home. And that was the only time I went home because it was still far away. And uh, I came home and my dad would not talk to me because my hair was long. You know, he was a World War II guy. He never had long hair. You know, that was not, that was not the way military people lived. And, uh, and I didn't care. He was my dad. And, and uh, my mom said, Stephen, please, you know, for the sake of Christmas, for the sake of the family, would you go get your hair cut? And, and so I said, I'll do it for you, mom, because I was that belligerent. And, and uh, so I went into the barbershop and I got my hair cut. And I was walking out of the barbershop as my dad was walking into the tavern next door where he met with his World War II buddies sometimes. And, and I remember crossing him in the street. And he, he looked at me and he said, I thought you said you were going to get your hair cut. <laughs> meaning I'd not cut it short enough for him. And uh, I said, well, I should have left it long. Then one of us would have been happy. You know, there's two sinners, you know, negotiating turf. What could possibly go wrong? You know, it's always a teachable moment. And and you have to allow yourself some slack too. Because uh, uh, even people who have raised children and done everything they could possibly do, you're not the only influence in a child's life. There are other people, there are friends, and there are other values that enter into their life. And so it's not always on you. I, I've often told families this, but you need to remember this. You know, Adam and Eve fell into sin. Who do you think parented Adam and Eve? I think that was on God. You know, so we could say, God, you must have messed up, when in fact he did it perfectly. But it's the nature of human beings to make bad choices. So parents, uh, be gracious to yourself, even as you're gracious towards your children. Final verse, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, amen. It always seems painful. You know, I don't like to have my course corrected. Later on, however, it's worth it and it should be done because it produces not only a blessing, but a harvest of blessings, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. I think the gold standard for discipline, the gold standard for parenting is in the Shema of the Old Testament. It's, it's kind of like the Apostles' Creed for Jewish people. It's where they go and they say, this is what we believe to be true. This is God's marching orders for us in life. And Shema just means hear. And it's, it's based on this first word. Listen, faithful people. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. He should be primary in your life. That's the first statement. Then he goes on. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. You are to live, you are to make them second nature to yourself. Impress them on your children. You have a legacy issue. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you rise up and when you lay down. Tie them as it were on your hands so that every time you're moving, you're thinking of them. Bind them as it were on your forehead. And we know that uh, uh, traditional uh, Jewish people, uh, Orthodox Jews, will even tie a little box with the law on their head. That's not what he meant. He just meant, you know, let it be everywhere you go and let it always be on your mind. Write them on the door frames of your house so that when you go in and when you go out, you will always think about these things. You know, I would, I would say the, the teaching from this is that, you know, this is a process. It's, it's not just an instruction. It's a process that God would have you understand uh, the process is the purpose. You know, we, we are not just to make sure they get to Sunday school, not just to make sure that we confirm them, that, hey, we've done our job. 
not to make sure that they just get into the youth group. Uh, because if you teach them to be respectful to their coach or to their teacher, but at home you badmouth the coach and you badmouth the teacher, where do you think the biggest influence will be? You know, it's in your behavior. It's not in what you tell them. It's not in what you say. It's not in what others say. It's how you live out this faith. It's a Shema. It's how you live out this faith in their presence. Let me just wrap up with three pillars of Christian parenting. First, you were never meant to do this alone. I pity people who try to do this without God. I say, these are his children. You deal with it, God. You help me. Give me advice. Give me counsel. And give me the strength and the wisdom beyond my years. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to give your children the best possible gift you can give them, give them a relationship with the living God. Amen? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a knowledge of the Holy One is their best understanding. That's true for me and it's also true for them. You know, we are not meant to do this alone. We have to involve the Lord in this work and we have to pass them off uh, to the Lord so that they will uh, live in that same relationship. Secondly, parenting always is a work in progress. It's always a work in progress. It's never done. Now, my folks are both with the Lord in heaven and, and they raised seven kids. I got to say that when an occasion occurs and I go home to be with my siblings uh, and my uh, second oldest sister, not my oldest, but my second oldest is having a 50th wedding anniversary uh, this August. We're going to go up for that. And uh, I, I got to say that when I'm with them, these are the strangest bunch of people. I have, uh, I am never in a group quite like that. You know, and, and uh, their political views are different than mine. Their religious views or lack thereof are different than mine. And it, it just always makes me smile because... Uh, you don't choose your family, do you? You know, you're born into your family. You don't get to make a choice. You know, they're, they're not uh, homogeneous with your values and your beliefs, but you can't divorce them, you know? You're stuck with them. And even if you don't go, your oldest sister will call you and say, where are you? Why aren't you here? You know, they won't leave you alone. They won't let you depart in peace, you know? And, and that's wonderful. This is by God's design that he has forced us into a situation where we have to deal with people who are different than us. Genders and ages and, and educational experiences and, and uh, different influences. Uh, it's always a work in progress and it's still in progress in my life. And then last, when it's all done well, it's a reflection of God's example and how God loves us. I, I just want to remind you that this is not a mistake. You know, the uh, filed up beyond all recognition aspect of family is not a mistake. It's by design. It's this Trinitarian God who decided this. The Father who loves you, the Son who died for you, the Holy Spirit who brings you to faith. This is his thinking. This is his design. And uh, I know that there's no such thing as a perfect family, and, and I'm not the perfect teacher on the subject. I could be the poster child for bad parenting. I'm sure my sons would agree. But when I am angry towards God, how does he react towards me? He loves me anyway. If my children are angry with me, how should I react towards them? Just love them anyway. You know, if I'm not talking to God because he's tinked me off, he's not listening to me, does God change his behavior towards me? He doesn't let my behavior affect his behavior. When I'm far from him, do you think he says, well, I've given up on that guy? No, he still loves me anyway. When I'm rebellious, he loves me anyway. When I'm disrespectful, he loves me anyway. The best parenting is a model of that kind of love towards those God has put into your responsibility. 
Christian education, Christian nurture is not something you do for a season. It's something you do for life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us to stop and think that our family is mixed up and as messed up as it gets sometimes uh, is your design. It's not a mistake. And, and you've caused me. You wove me in my mother's womb. You, you made me a part of this structure for good reason. Help me to be a blessing and not a harm uh, to my family. And, and help me also to understand the value uh, in differences and the opportunity and the encouragement that you have that we would love those differences and not just endure them, not just tolerate them, but that we would learn to love those things that make us so unique and make us so varied. Lord, bless us that we might be an influence you know, of your gospel, your unconditional love uh, to those in this special relationship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.